Greetings, Christchurch Midrand. It's good to be with you, even in this way. Uh, some of you may know me very well, but let me just introduce myself for those of you who don't. My name is Glenn. I've been married to Sandra, my wife, for the last 27 years. We have two children, Jesse, who is 21, Joe, who is 19, and they're all with me uh, right now in this lockdown time. Uh, for those of you who don't know my background, I grew up in a nominally religious home, Jewish, Catholic mix. Uh, me, pretty much not interested in any of it, kind of drifting through uh, life the first 20 years of my life. In my early 20s, I met the girl I wanted to marry. We went to a church trying to find someone who would marry us. And in that church, for the very first time, I heard the gospel clearly proclaimed and clearly speaking to me. And for the first time, I realized uh, that I was a sinner under God's wrath and Jesus had come to earth to take my sin upon himself at the cross and by faith in him I could be rescued. And 28 years ago, that's uh, just what my wife and I did as we got on our knees and came to faith in Christ and we've been walking with Jesus ever since. Uh, the last 20 years in ministry, serving at a church in Port Elizabeth, the last five years of that time, uh, as bishop and now as presiding bishop of REACH South Africa, overseeing all of our 150-odd churches around the country. God has been very good to us in all of those years. Today we're going to look at the scriptures, John chapter 5. You're going to hear that reading, and then we'll look at it a bit later. Good morning, church. My name is Matsi Leng, and I am a member of the Midrand Christ Church family. This morning's scripture reading is from John 5, verse 1 to 18. It reads as follows. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In this lay a multitude of invalids blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Say, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you? Take up a bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus answered them, My father's working until now, and I'm working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. In 1995, a young businessman approached a group of about 60 people over a period of time, trying to get them to invest uh, in an online sales scheme that he had in mind uh, for this new medium that was promising to become the next big thing. It was called the Internet. And he was trying to get investors in his company to set up an Internet sales company. Uh, of the 60 people that he approached, 22 agreed to invest. And those 22 people, including his parents, gave him the first million dollars that he needed to start the company. That man's name was Jeff Bezos, and his company uh, is called Amazon, which last year was worth over $200 billion. And when I was reading about that, I was thinking to myself, how do those 48 people feel? who turned down that initial opportunity to invest in his company way back in 1995. What a fortune they have lost out on. And yet, in turning down Amazon, it really pales into insignificance compared to turning down Jesus in 2020 or AD 30. For that matter, the story here in John chapter 5 uh, really brings home examples of people who had excellent opportunities to turn to Jesus and yet turned away from him. Surprising people who you think would actually be the best candidates to turn to Jesus and yet instead they turned away from him. And so I want to have a look in John chapter 5 from that reading that you've heard, just at these opportunities that these people had. First of all, I want you to see the invalid's opportunity. Now, um, it might have struck you, reading about this invalid, that he's quite a surprising candidate for a healing miracle. We're not actually sure what the invalid's problem was. Uh, the Greek word really means a weakness, some sort of sickness or weakness that rendered him lame or bedridden in some way. And when you read the story, it's there's a few surprising things about this invalid and how he behaves. Uh, you'll see as you read through the story some unusual things. First of all, in verse 5 and 6, he doesn't actually go looking for help from Jesus, which is often what you see with sick people. He doesn't go to Jesus for help. Jesus actually goes looking for him. And then another odd thing is the question that Jesus asks him there in verse 6. Jesus says to him, do you want to get well or do you want to be healed? Or literally, are you willing to be healed? Um, you would think the answer would be obvious. I mean, yes, people would say, of course I want to be healed. But of course, in those days, um, land beggars could make a lot of money uh, or a, a helpful income out of their illness. Uh, 
and so Jesus is offering him, asking him if he actually wants to be healed. And again, there's an odd answer from this invalid. He doesn't automatically in verse 7 say, yes, yes, I want to be healed. Instead, he starts moaning about how he's never had an opportunity to get into the pool because someone always gets in ahead of him in verse 7. Now, by the way, you may see in some of your Bibles, there are footnotes about this pool of Bethsaida. Uh, this pool, which I've actually seen in Jerusalem, has been uncovered by archaeologists. And there was a superstition about this pool that uh, when the pool bubbled up, it was actually an angel stirring the water and first one in gets healed, which is a bit cruel in a way because you've got to be fit enough to get in the pool to get healed. So uh, it's kind of a catch-22. But anyway, this man is complaining that he's never quick enough to get into the pool first and so he doesn't get healed and he's woe is me and poor me, that kind of attitude. So there again... Uh, is another unusual aspect about this man and whether or not he's a good candidate for healing. There's not much faith in Jesus being shown here at all. And then when he is healed, uh, um, he's not one to um, stand up for Jesus. When he's confronted, verse 10, by the religious police, he immediately shifts the blame onto Jesus and says, oh, the man who made me well, he made me do it. When the religious police challenge him for um carrying his bed on the Sabbath, which is one of the Sabbath rules being broken. Uh, he says, no, 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 uh, it's not my fault. The man told me to do it. The man who made me well told me to do it. Uh, so he shows he's a blame shifter. There doesn't really seem to be any change of heart from this man uh, when he's healed. And you can see that in verse 14, where it says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, that's an unusual statement uh, from Jesus to the man. He finds him at the temple and says to him, stop sinning. Would he say that to the man if he was at the temple worshipping and praising God and thanking God for the healing? Jesus wouldn't say it to him at the temple if that's what he was doing. He must have been doing something at the temple that uh, caused him to get this rebuke. And of course, in Jerusalem in those days, there were certain spots where a beggar could play on the sympathies of people and beg uh, for money. One of those was at the pool of Bethsaida, and the other prime spot would be the temple. What better place to uh, play on people's conscience than to sit outside church and beg? So it may well be that this man has gone back to what he's been doing for the last 38 years and he put his mat out and lay there with his hand out. And Jesus rebukes him and warns him that something worse can happen to him. It doesn't even end there. The man still doesn't change his ways. After he's given the warning, he then goes and gives Jesus' name to the authorities. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So when you look at the story again and you take a deeper look at it, you start to realize that this lame man is not the greatest candidate for Jesus' help or healing. He's not the model candidate. And maybe the story challenges some of us in our thinking um, about healing and who is worthy of receiving healing in the Bible. It's not the people with great faith all the time that get healed. And also, 
this is telling us that just because you are healed doesn't necessarily mean that you are saved. I mean, God may well intervene in your life to rescue you from trouble, just like he did with this invalid. The Bible tells us that every single day of our lives is God's intervention keeping us alive. And God intervenes in many ways in our lives, perhaps more than we acknowledge, more than we acknowledge. He may intervene to rescue you from a number of situations that you're not even aware of. And God may have intervened to physically heal you, rescue you from bankruptcy, deliver you from some deadly accident or something like that. That does not necessarily mean that you are saved. And God certainly does intervene in people's lives. And in doing that, gives you an opportunity to turn to him and trust in him. But not, not everybody does that, even with physical healing. Now, I don't have the gift of healing, and um, and I can testify to that by many people whose hands I've laid on and they haven't got well. But I do remember once somebody phoning me, asking me to go to their friend in hospital and saying uh, that they were deadly sick and could I please go pray for them? They weren't believers. Uh, and uh, please could I go and help them? And I went to the hospital and I went into the ward and the nurse said to me, this woman doesn't have long to go. Uh, the doctor thinks she's got less than 24 hours to live. And anyway, I went in, I tried to speak to her, but she was deeply unconscious and I prayed for her that God would either heal her or save her um, and left thinking she didn't have a chance. Uh, the next day, I was at the hospital doing other visits, and I popped into the ward to say to them, when did the lady die? And um, they said to me, no, she didn't die. She rallied overnight, uh, and she's recovered. And the doctors are even talking about discharging her now because she made a complete recovery overnight, which was amazing. When she was discharged, I went to her house to see her, to speak to her and share the gospel with her. And the amazing thing is, when she saw me at the door, at the gate actually, ringing the bell to come in, she turned away and she never opened the door to let me in. She wouldn't even see me, even after what had happened. And it's just an illustration to me again from John chapter 5, that just because God intervenes in your life in some way in this world, does not necessarily mean that you're going to be saved or you are saved. And sadly, this will be the case for millions of people who daily receive Jesus' intervention in, in their lives, preserving them from things, and yet they'll never turn to him for salvation. And the invalid story here in John chapter 5 is a very stark warning about that. There's a second group here, uh, and an opportunity too that they had, which they turned away from, and that is the religious leaders. The response of the religious leaders here to Jesus is really quite astonishing. Uh, there's a dullness here amongst these theologians, which is shocking, actually. Uh, they see this former cripple. They would have known him. He's been a, an invalid for 38 years. And here he is walking home with his bed under his arms. And when they see him walking, they don't say, wow, you're healed. This is a miracle. Praise God. They don't say, wow, let's go to the temple and give thanks to God. For this amazing healing. They don't say who healed you. Let's meet this man. We want to thank God for him. Instead they say in verse 10. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. On the Sabbath. 
I mean, it is an astounding statement in the face of someone that's just been healed in this most miraculous way. You know, how often in your lifetime would you see something like this? Never. Somebody who is paralyzed, who is healed completely and is walking home with his bed under his arms. And yet the religious leaders say, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat or your bed on the Sabbath. I mean, that is crazy. That is like somebody arriving at your house and saying, yeah, here's a brand new car for you. Here's this Mercedes Benz for you. It's a gift to you. Yeah, brand new. And you look at it and you say, take that car away. You've parked it illegally on a yellow line. How could you do that? Take that car away. That's as crazy as this statement right here. The interesting thing is carrying your mat on the Sabbath was one of the 39 applications of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath breaking commandment that the rabbis had decided needed to be enforced amongst the people. It was one of the outworkings of that law. And it does seem that this particular encounter was used by Jesus to actually expose that very stumbling block amongst the Jewish leaders, which it certainly did. And verse 16 tells us, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders uh, began to persecute him, or pursue him, literally, is the word. So they, they really began to nail him, so to speak. And Jesus gives um, quite a, a, a provocative answer to these persecutors in verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. See, Jesus' statement here in verse 17 is actually astonishing and astounding to these religious leaders of the day. <clears throat> Made them tremendously angry. They wanted to kill him because of this blasphemous statement of his, that his father was at work to this very day, and I too am working. And the very day he's talking about is the Sabbath. Now, there was a big debate amongst the rabbis in the first century, uh, a conundrum, so to speak. Because the Sabbath day was so important, and the, non, the, the breaking of the Sabbath day was so uh it was, it was such a, a strict rule not to break the Sabbath. The rabbi said, but what about God? Because God works on a Saturday, the Sabbath day. Uh, isn't he breaking the Sabbath? And they had this whole debate. It really got quite heated uh, in that first century. And eventually the rabbis decided that God can't be breaking the Sabbath because the universe is God's house. It's not his workplace. And it's not breaking the Sabbath to look after your house uh, on the Sabbath. And so that was the loophole that they found to excuse God for working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says here, my father is working on the Sabbath and I am working on the Sabbath. And that's making himself no less than God himself. Calling God his father and claiming to be doing the father's work on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders were completely scandalized by that answer and saw Jesus as blaspheming and wanted to have him killed for 
blasphemy, which is ultimately why they did kill him. So what was going on here was the religious leaders were refusing to consider the evidence that was right in front of them. And by doing so, they turned down their opportunity to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, just as the invalid did, because he was just so self-centered and focused on himself. So these religious leaders, who were so focused on their power and their love of the praise of people and their status, that they could not see who was standing in front of them. And these two examples really bring home the reality of the opportunity that you are facing today and that you've been brought face to face with, so to speak. Again and again, John brings you and I, as you read through John's Gospel, he brings you and I face to face with Jesus and who he really is and gives you that opportunity to recognize him as Lord and receive him as your Savior. Just as Jesus stood before that invalid, just as Jesus stood before those religious leaders, so he is before you today, giving you the opportunity to respond to him. It's the purpose of the whole gospel, that you will see that this carpenter from Nazareth is nothing less than God in the flesh, here to save you. If only you will recognize him and and turn to him and put your faith in him. And it is recognizing who he is by his actions that John wants you to see. These signs, these miraculous signs, like the healing of this invalid. By Jesus' actions, you see who he is. There's an old story, it's a well-known story, and we're not sure who it's attached to. It could be King Richard or one of the King Henrys in England, who famously uh, dressed up as a commoner to go out amongst the common people and experience life as a commoner and see what it was like. And the king dressed up in peasants' clothes and went out into the streets and mingled with the commoners and got to know them and chatted to them, uh, went into the local drinking hole with them and was sitting in, in the pub or in the inn around a table drinking and chatting and laughing and joking when all of a sudden everyone in the inn jumped up and bowed their knees to him and said, Your Majesty. What is it that happened that made them change? Well, you know what happened? While they were sitting around the table laughing and joking, uh, a woman of ill repute, one of the local uh, well-known women of ill repute, uh, came into the bar and walked up to the table and said, Hello, boys! And instantly, the king stood up because the lady came to the table. And so by his behavior, they recognized who he was. And that's the same with Jesus. You see, Jesus looks like the carpenter from Nazareth, but his actions will show you that he is God from heaven, come to earth. And when you recognize him as that, there lies your opportunity to bow the knee to him as Lord You see Jesus, not by how he looks, but by how he conducts himself. And Jesus, who looks like a man and conducts himself as God, is the one who has come as your saviour. And that is the opportunity you are given from a God who looks at sinners like you and me and comes to earth to rescue us, as Jesus did. 
when he came to earth, not to heal an invalid or to confront religious leaders ultimately, but to take our sin upon himself at the cross, pay the penalty for the sin we deserved, and then offer you the eternal life that he has. And that is the opportunity he gives to you and I. Today, this is your opportunity. As Jesus has been revealed to you today, as his word has been proclaimed, Jesus has been revealed to you. How will you respond to him? Will you respond like the invalid, accept his earthly help, accept his healing, the very health he gives you today? Will you accept all of those things, but turn down his offer of salvation? Or will you be like the religious leaders and reject him because you're afraid that you're going to lose your earthly status or your power or, or your friends and your popularity? Will you turn down Jesus because of what you have now that you're afraid to lose? Or will you do as John wants you to do? Will you see Jesus as Lord and bow the knee to him as your Lord? And as your saviour, what will you do? Thank you so much, Bishop Glenn, for that. And please, will you all join me now as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your message of salvation. Thank you that you have not left the world to itself and to the ravages of disease and brokenness. Thank you that you have an eternal plan for having a people for yourself. And thank you that you have revealed your plan to us via your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our great high priest who sits at the right hand, at your right hand, interceding for each one of us continuously. Thank you that Jesus is our brother and that we are part of his eternal family. Thank you that Jesus is the final and perfect sacrifice. Thank you that my rebellion and autonomy towards you has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. Thank you that my sin that has separated me from your love has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. And thank you that because of the resurrection of Jesus, I'm able to live my life in perfect relationship with you, my Father who is in heaven. Lord God, I pray that you might hear the prayers that each one of us is saying, that you might hear our heartfelt prayers, and that you might continue to pour your love and mercy and grace into our hearts. Please continue to convince us of the truth of the gospel, and please strengthen our faith in the finished work of Jesus. For many of us, it feels like the ground is crumbling all around us as we face unemployment, hunger, illness, loss of loved ones. We need to know you. We want to know you and the life that you have planned for each one of us. Please forgive us as we have sought after our own heart's desires and run after things of this world. Please allow us to know you so that we may be comforted and in turn, that we might be able to comfort those around us. Thank you for your great plan of salvation that not only rescues us into your eternal family, 
but gives us a great task of being your hands and feet in the areas that you have placed us. Please help us, Lord God, to trust you and to trust your ways. Help us to lean not on our own understanding, but to look at your eternal life-giving word, your word that is truth. Please help each one of us to spend time reading your word and considering your ways. Help us to press pause and enable us to meditate on your precious word. Heavenly Father, I ask that you might be with us in the week that lies ahead. Help us to consider what we have heard this morning from your word and help us to respond in faith and repentance. Please will you continue to meet our physical needs and please will you especially draw near to the vulnerable in our communities. Thank you that we can come to you as our Heavenly Father and know that you hear and that you care. I think we can join David as he prays in Psalm 40. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.